Romans, the fifth chapter, we'll begin reading in verse 11. We'll read two verses, 11 and 12. Today, I want to talk to you about the fourth article of faith in the founding documents of this church and, as we've said, of Zion Church, which is where this church came from, from back in 1847. That's how far back it goes. A very ancient document, if you will. Definitely not as ancient as the Word of God. But here's Article 4. It says, We believe in the doctrine of original sin and the impotency of man's recovery in and of himself from the fallen state in which he is in by nature. The title of the message is Original Sin. And if you notice, there's a word in original that we're going to focus on here this morning, and it is origin, okay? We're going to talk about origins this morning, because in that one article, which, by the way, it, that article might have been better being Article 3 and the one we did last week, Article 4. I, I'm not second-guessing that, but it all begins with what happened in the Garden of Eden, why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be chosen? Why must our destination be set by God? It's because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that is the origin of the world. Now, this is a tremendous debate in the world today about origins. Where did we come from? I've shared with you before the, the greatest physicists in our age from a natural standpoint, Stephen Hawking, you know, in his last work, he concluded that you know we must have come from aliens it takes a lot of faith to believe that a lot of faith the smartest man on the planet that that was his final conclusion in his magnum opus if you will of the final work of his life so i'm going to do something this morning that i don't normally do we usually spend most of our time dwelling on the word of god and preaching from that which is the truth i'm going to share with you a few origin myths so you can see just how much sense the, the true origin makes. I mean, it's just, it, some of the stuff is so nonsensical from myths and legends of how we got here. And, I, and yes, I include the myth of evolution in that also. And I'll tell you a funny one that I encountered as I looked at that. But the doctrine of original sin, why do we have such hard times? Why do we worry like Brother Luke presented so beautifully here this morning? If this was a world without worry and without hard times and troubles and trials, you know, there'd be nothing to worry about. Why is it like it is? Why do people get cancer? Why do people die? Why do we have all of these problems? It's because of the, the doctrine, the truth of original sin. And in two verses here, Romans 5 and 11 and 12, it is encapsulated. It's all through the Word of God. It's, there's more verses of Scripture that we could look at than we would have time on any day to look at. But we're going to hit the highlights. It says in Romans 5 and 11, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That word is literally at-one-ment. How were we made back one with God? And why did we need to be made back one? How did we fall away from God? He says in verse 12, Wherefore, we needed atonement. We needed at one with God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In one fell swoop, one little verse, 
the Apostle Paul answers any question that you may have in your mind about why things get so bad, why politics are so bad, why religion is so bad, why people die, why people suffer. It is because of one man. And the name of that one man, of course, was Adam. So this is about origins, the doctrine of original sin. So I want to say some things about origins, okay? There are a lot of creation myths. Some of these you'll be familiar with. Listen, I wasted a little bit of time last week. I got captivated by reading about all of the creation myths of where we come from, from all the different cultures in history past. Okay, I I probably wasted a little bit of time. And so I had probably 10 that I wanted to share with you. And I actually sat down and I timed how long it would take me to do that. It was just too long. I couldn't work it in. So I've cut it down to just three or four and I'm gonna go through them very quickly. Now, I'm, I'm going to try, too. I'm going to try very carefully. I don't want you to think I'm being smart aleck. Or I'm going I'm to try to read this objectively to you as I can, but some of it's somewhat humorous, okay? So we begin with Egypt. And let me say this. Over all of these, these creation legends in creation mythology, most of them, or if not all of them, involve multiple gods, which is polytheistic. That is in total opposition to what you believe in a monotheistic God. God is three in one. They believed in a pantheon or a polytheistic belief in gods. It involved multiple gods or polytheism, chaos, which means something from nothing. Often it involved water, oceans, and sometimes cosmic eggs. (laughs) So I thought about another title for the sermon could have been cosmic eggs and chaos. (laughs) Maybe that's better, but I might let Brother Luke decide since I'm the one always deciding on the names. Okay, so the Egyptian creation myth. And listen, we're, we're going through these not to make fun of them, but to compare them to the truth. Most common creation stories in Egypt begin with Nun, the primeval ocean from which Amun arise. Amun takes the name Re or Ra, and produces a divine son and daughter. These two produce a race of gods while the tears of Amun-Ra become mankind. Mankind disappoints Ra, and Ra, fed up with mankind, retires to the heavens where he reigns as the sun. Ra, the sun god. The Babylonian creation myth says that creation came from chaos, which is, it would be comparable to what the false science describes as, you know, what was there at the Big Bang. It's very, very similar. And by the way, evolution is not new. Evolution was layered in many of these myths. In the Babylonian creation myth, two watery beings, a male and a female, Apsu, which means sweet water, and Tiamat, which means salt water, come together and bring forth a variety of sea monsters and gods. In the, in the chaos, Tiamat, the female, tries to take control, and in the fight, one of their number, one of their offspring, Marduk, which is the god of Babylon, if you, know, if you read it, that's, that's another name for Baal. That's why I use this one, so you can identify it with the word of God. It's another name for Baal. Marduk, one of their offspring, kills her and others. He splits her monstrous, monstrous corpse into two parts. From half he creates the heaven, the, the other half the earth, And realizing they will need servants, he uses the blood of one of the killed gods to create the first man. That sounds bloody, doesn't it? In China, in the beginning, the universe was a featureless, formless state, and this primordial state formed into a cosmic egg. I'm not making this up. Over 18,000 years, 
Within this egg, the opposite principles of yin and yang became balanced and Pangu emerged from the egg. Pangu is depicted as a primitive hairy giant who has horns on his head. Does that sound familiar to anything that you've ever heard in mythology? Pangu created the world. He separated yin from yang with the swing of his giant axe. He created the earth, yin, and the sky, yang. And this task, he, he began to separate them. It took 18,000 years for him to separate that. Then he died. This god died. His breath became the wind, his voice thunder, his left eye the sun, his right eye the moon, his blood rivers, his sweat rain. The fleas on his fur carried by the wind became animals. Where'd the fleas come from? Anyway, Greece, this is the one that you're going to be the most familiar with. The most popular of the, there's several different versions, but the most popular mythology legend begins, like so many others, with gaping emptiness called chaos. Within this chaos emerges Mother Earth, who gives birth to a son, Uranus, who is the sky. They populate the earth first with titans, heroic figures, next the cyclops with only one eye in the middle of their foreheads, followed by monsters. Uranus, appalled by his offspring, shuts them all up in the depths of the earth, Hades. Mother earth is offended and she persuades a titan, Cronus, to attack his father and he kills his own father, frees his brothers and sisters from the dungeon, and they continue to populate the world. Still unable to get along, Cronus eats six of his children. <laughs> That's so terrible, isn't it? As soon as they are born, and to save the youngest child, Zeus, the mother wraps a stone in swaddling clothes, and Cronus swallows the stone instead of Zeus. Zeus grows up, overwhelms his father, defeats the Titans, settles on Mount Olympus, and during this, somewhere mankind arrives on earth. Maybe it's like Stephen Hawking said, aliens dropped him off. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Okay, during this, mankind has arrived on earth. It's not clear how, but men are there because a free-thinking titan, Prometheus, smuggles to man the gift of fire. In one of the legends, now I'm, I'm, I've got a point. Please don't go to sleep on me because there's a little seed of truth in a lot of this. Okay, In one of the legends, it says that Zeus was exasperated by Prometheus giving man fire, and so Zeus sent a flood to drown mankind, and two humans escaped in an ark. Y'all Bible readers, does that sound familiar? Okay, I'd like to share with you the Norse legend about a glacier that melts and a cow licks the melting glacier ice to reveal Odin. <laughs> we'll leave that one off. Okay, <laughs> fantastic, aren't they? Now, let's get to the most fantastic one. And it's called the theory of evolution. Even more fantastic than these that I've shared with you. Now, I, I did a search on Google for evolution legends or evolution myth legends like I did for creation myth. And young guys, guess what popped up? Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon popped up. I have no idea why, but I said evolution, myths, and legends, and boom, here comes Pokemon. Okay, so then I did another search and found more to read about evolution. And listen to this. All life share on earth, listen to the seed of truth. All life on earth shares at least a last universal common ancestor, which lived approximately 3.5 to 3.8 billion years ago. The history of life is there was just cells or pre-cells until 610 million years ago when multicellular organisms began to appear in the oceans. Where'd the oceans come from? Multicellular organisms like sponges, brown algae, slime molds. Scientists reported in 2016 that about 800 million years ago, a minor genetic change in a single molecule may have allowed organisms to go from single cell to many cells. So from sponges, and algae to fish to insects to animals to humans. And in my words, which I stole from Elder Sonny Piles, from goo to zoo to you, okay? 
The Big Bang was the moment 13.8 billion years ago when the universe began as a tiny, dense fireball that exploded. Most astronomers use the Big Bang theory to explain how the universe began, but what caused this explosion in the first place is still a mystery. Those are not my words. Those are their words from, the, from Googling it. Since the Big Bang, the universe has expanded. In the, in the early years, it was gas. The gas expanded over billions of years. Gravity caused gas and dust to form galaxies, stars, planets, and more. And the writer says, the matter that spread out from the Big Bang developed into everything in the universe, including you. You are made of star stuff. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that just incredible? I, I submit to you that of all those legends that we read there, the evolution legend or myth is the most outrageous, the most beyond comprehension. It, although it is difficult to imagine a cow licking a glacier <laughs> had anything to do with us getting here. In contrast to that, we come to the Hebrew version. And there's a simplicity and a confidence derived from monotheism. That's the opposite of a bunch of gods. A single God. It makes my heart flutter as we consider Genesis 1 and 1, the Old Testament opens with a magnificently confident statement. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Does that touch you like it touches me? You don't have to wonder about cosmic eggs or where did water come from? You don't have to worry or wonder about all of these fantastical gods killing their offspring or their parents. It just says in the beginning, God created. Is that not amazing? <laughs> I hope that it is profound to you as it is to me. And I also hope that you will see that in the midst of all of these fantastic creation myths and formations that were going on at the time or existed at the time, out of that, your monotheistic God, Jehovah God, the three-in-one God, burdened and, and put it upon men like Moses to put down so that you could see just how simple it is that you got here. And that's the origin. You want to know why you're sitting here today? It's because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How majestic and glorious is that language? as opposed to all of the other nonsensical things that we've read. And, I, and I'm not trying to insult or be ugly, because you understand that those nonsensical ideas, people built their, their cultures, their governments, and their lives upon those things. The nation of Babylon was the greatest in the world at one point. The nation of Rome was the greatest in the world at one point. They built their lives and their governments upon those beliefs in those pluralistic gods. And I hope and pray here today that you as believers in salvation by grace and believers of Jehovah God will build and found your life upon this God that is taught in the Word of God. He's the only true and living God. And isn't it wonderful to know that this God, unlike the other gods that are presented in the polytheistic world out there of the past, isn't it great to know that your God is a good God? You remember the little simple prayer that children would pray and I've even prayed myself as an adult. You know, God is good. God is great. Let us thank Him for our food. Isn't it, isn't it good to know that not only is God great, but He is good? Amen. Brothers and sisters, He has to be good to go to the extent that He went to to save you from your sins. 
to sacrifice his own son, not in some weird and strange murderous way like the other, the pantheon of gods did with each other, killing their father, killing their child, whatever, eating their children. No, the noble God of the universe sent his noble son to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sins through all of eternity. He sent His Son to die for your benefit. You see that? That's totally different than them devouring themselves and then being just these arbitrary gods that might throw a lightning bolt at you at some point. Your God is not only great, but He is good. And the greatest manifestation that your God made to you is to send His Son in the form of flesh to die for your sins. That is the greatest exhibition of God-likeness, Godness that you could ever come across. People say, he did what? You mean this great God that you, you claim sits on the throne of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords, you mean to tell me that he descended from that throne? Oh, why in the world would he do that? He came down to this earth and he took the form of a man. He took on the flesh and blood of a man through the womb of the Virgin Mary. And then on top of that, he went to a cruel cross and was mocked and scourged by the governments of men and the powers that be. And he endured the wrath of God on top of that, which was worse than the wrath of man. I just can't I just can't stomach a weak God like that. <laughs> Let me tell you, that is more power than any God could ever conjure. The restraint that it takes, it took for God not to just wipe out the world, but to sacrifice his beloved who never committed a sin, never thought a bad thought. And he took your sin and your bad thoughts and your bad actions upon him and paid for them. Let me tell you something. I can respect and worship a God like that because it's personal. He took my sins. He took your sins. We believe in the doctrine of original sin and that man cannot recover himself. So in the beginning, see, it's all about origins. What do you believe about how we got here? If you believe the Bible account of how we got here, then you can believe where we are going. See? Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He created in those first six days every, all of that you see around you. And on that sixth day, He created what became the troublemaker, Adam. Genesis 3 and 1. If you'll allow me just to skip over a few things because we've only got a few minutes left. A few, a few weeks ago, I preached about some of the sequence that went on in the book of Genesis about how things happen on certain days and, and the relation to Adam being formed first and then Eve. So if you'll just allow me to skip back over that, I encourage you to study it. It's very interesting on how Adam was placed in the garden. And then I believe, my belief, personal belief, is that Eve was created in the Garden of Eden after God placed Adam there and he began to name the animals. But be that as may, we're going to skip on down to what happens in Genesis 3 and 1. And this is after all of that sequence, after the six days of creation. And I'm just going to tell you what I believe. If you think about how God created in six days, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then He created all the other things that go along with it, and finally He created man. And then it says that God rested on, rested on the seventh, seventh day. He, didn't, he wasn't tired, He just stopped. He didn't have anything else to do. So I'm just telling you that Nobody really knows exactly when the fall in the Garden of Eden took place. Some think, well, it was, it was shortly after man was created and, and Eve was created, Adam and Eve were created. 
And then some say, well, it might have been years. It might have been months. It might have been weeks. I, nobody really knows. I'm just going to tell you what I think. You know, it says that God rested on the seventh day. I think that there was at least one day, you know, the seventh day. And then I think it picks up on the eighth day, Genesis 3 and 1. That's just my thoughts. Just from thinking about, isn't it interesting that if, that's, if I am right, if that is correct, there was only one day of peace. Y'all hear me? Does that not make sense in terms of what we face on a day-to-day -day basis from turmoil and strife and trouble and drama? This world that God created perfect may have only had one single day of absolute tranquility and peace, that seventh day. I'm open to where it could be 40 years, it could be 10 years, it could be two weeks. I don't know. I've studied it and studied it and read commentaries, and nobody really knows. That's my conjecture, okay? And I'm not here to preach my conjecture. I'm just telling you, it makes sense to me that there was at least one day of peace. And then Genesis 3 and 1 picks up, and we believe the doctrine of original sin. It says, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, You should not eat of the tree of the garden. The woman says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Remember, God did not say you can't touch it. That's something that apparently Adam had added to the instructions that he gave to Eve that he had received from God. And the serpent said, You shall not surely die. And from that point, that's when the, that's when the trouble begins. Eve takes a bite of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and then she shares it with Adam. And a lot of chauvinistic type theology would say, well, it's really Eve's fault. If she hadn't, blah, blah, blah. Don't buy into that chauvinistic stuff. It is Adam's fault. Because Adam was overseer, overkeeper of the garden, and he was in charge of protecting Eve, and he didn't protect her. And here she is, and, and obviously you can see in a sense why he didn't, because there's no sin, there's no trouble there, and all of a sudden this clever, slick, Philadelphia lawyer type snake pops up and starts talking smooth. And the next thing you know, she's taking a bite of something that he knows he could have stopped her at any time. But I think he didn't want to stop her. See if she's going to die first, because God said in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Maybe she was his guinea pig. That's terrible, isn't it? So he takes a bite, and mankind commits the first sin. Now let me ask you, as simple as that is, do you understand a child can understand that simple, truthful narrative of how we got here and the origin of sin and trouble and trials and tribulations, and even to the extent of why the Son of God had to come and die for our sins. I tell you, that is something that a child can understand. Y'all see that? I don't, I don't know that a, it'd be difficult for a child to understand all those mysterious pre-creation or, or post-creation things where gods were eating their children and all. That stuff's scary, isn't it? But even a child can see the doctrine of original sin. For as by, wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all mankind. People die because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. But God's people live on because of what Christ did on the cross. You see that? The truth of our origin is a glorious, beautiful depiction 
that tells you so much and makes so much sense about why we are in the mess that we're in today. I believe the world only had one single day of peace and tranquility. And then some point after that one day, Adam sinned. And we're still suffering the consequences for his sin. That makes more sense to me as a child of God than anything that I've ever heard. And I know part of it's because the Spirit of God has touched your heart, my heart, and it, it just makes sense. We know we're sinners. How did we become sinners? I took on the nature of my father, and my father took on the nature of his father. And all the way back to Adam, we have taken on the nature of our father, forefather, Adam. As we close our thoughts here this morning, Romans 5 and 11 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Look at verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, that's Adam, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. Adam's sin condemned mankind. But the free gift through Jesus Christ is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense, Adam's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, the super Adam, the Jesus, the one that did what Adam did not do. Jesus kept the law and Jesus was faced with the law of Moses. He was the law of Moses. Adam only had one law to keep, one rule. And Jesus kept everything to a jot and to a tittle, as the Word of God says. Dotted every I, crossed every T. And as a result of that, as a result of that which is not a myth, you can come here today to the New Testament church of God and you can connect with your Creator. Connect with Him and glorify His name because He has overcome the doctrine of original sin in Adam's fall. The old saying was, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. But by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man-God, the God-man has overcome all of that. I hope and pray that you have connected with Him here this morning. I know I was certainly connecting with Him whenever Brother Luke was preaching. And I hope through seeing just how accurate and how scientific and how understandable and simple these things are that the monotheistic God, the true God, Jehovah God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, three in one God, stands out starkly against all of this other myth and stuff that's out there, including the non-observed theory of evolution. It's never been observed because nobody can go back there and travel time and see it and observe it. I'm going to stick with the Word of God. How about you? So church, I ask you, do you believe in the doctrine of original sin? Amen. Me too. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, we give you that opportunity.